Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is our review of Quo Vadis Ida. Their tanks are getting closer and closer by the hour. We are doing everything we can. Aircraft are on standby and ready to launch an attack on all positions held by the Republika Srpska Army. What will happen if the planes don't come? They will come. They will come. is a safe area on the protection of the United Nations. Kao čovjek, kao general, garantujem sigurnost za svakog nevinog. Do you have your family here? Two sons. Do you think we are safe here? The Turks are inside the base fully armed. What? It's in full. They are killing people outside. I don't know where my family is. What will happen to us? Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Kovadis Aida, and the story is as follows. Bosnia, July of 1995. Aida is a translator for the UN in the small town of Srebrenica. When the Serbian army takes over the town, her family is among the thousands of citizens looking for shelter in the UN camp. As an insider to the negotiations, Aida has access to crucial information that she needs to interpret. What is at the horizon for her family? Which move should she take? The film is starring Jasna Durik, Izundin Bajrovic, Boris Iskovic, Jahan Heldenberg, Raymond Thury, Emir Hazevich Begovic, and Edita Malovic. It is written and directed by Jasmila Zabanik. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Ryan C. Showers. Hello, hello. And Dan Baer. Good morning, everyone. We are reviewing uh, one of the best international feature film contenders this year, it is a movie that had its premiere at the Venice International Film Festival, played again at the Toronto International Film Festival. It went along for a, 
quite a while without a distributor. And many of us who saw it at the film festivals were wondering if anyone was ever going to see this movie. And I'm very, very happy that it did pick up uh, distribution from Super LTD. It got these uh, accolades and awards recognition from both uh, the BAFTAs and also from the Academy Awards. And I have to admit, like, it's one of those kinds of films that that are very, very heavy, Um, obviously based on true events, although the thread that kind of takes us through this story uh, with this character of uh, Aida is one that is uh, fictionalized for the purpose of telling what was truly a really horrific thing that happened in Srebrenica. And I, I am kind of, I, I have to admit, like, I'm kind of speechless. Um, I, I just watched the film uh, a few minutes ago for a second time right before we started recording here. And like, it's one of those films like on the same level as something like a Schindler's List or a Hotel Rwanda where words uh, can't really do it justice. You kind of have to just see it for yourself. And in that regard, it is something that I would consider to be almost mandatory viewing for educational purposes, um, which I will also get into in a little bit here because I think the film has some really powerful uh, messaging behind it and how it goes about telling future generations to not forget uh, what happened over here in Bosnia. So in that regard, um, it's a very heavy movie. Um, It's an emotional, powerful experience and one that you will definitely not be able to shake off after you watch it. I definitely want to hear everyone's thoughts on this one for sure. But before we get into that, uh, one of our uh, frequent guests lately, Emma Sasek, is someone who um, really, really, really wanted to be here today to talk about this movie. Unfortunately, she could not be here, but she did record a a little something, which I'm going to uh, play for you all right now, uh, giving her thoughts on this film. So if you would just indulge me, uh, here are Emma's thoughts on Quo Vadis Aida. Hey, Next Best Picture team. I'm so glad you guys are reviewing the film Quo Vadis Aida. I wish I could be there and talk with you guys, but I'm happy to add a little bit of commentary on the side too. About a month ago or two, I wrote a piece for the website about my family's immigration story and how we are Bosnian refugees from the Yugoslavian war, which is documented in this film. And ever since I watched this movie about a month ago, it has stuck with me in such a way that no other movie this year, aside from Minari, has. Um, You know, as a Bosnian immigrant, I have heard these stories from my parents and from my family who actually witnessed this war firsthand and had to escape bullets, bombs, just total destruction around them. You know, as the movie documents and it's focused on the town of Srebrenica, um, it's something that happened really all over the place. Um, My family, for example, they were forced out of their homes in Banja Luka, which is um, the second largest city in the country, or what is today now known as Bosnia. My mom's building had bullet holes through it it had bombs going off very close by and so when i watch this film i immediately think about everything that they have seen and everything that they have witnessed what aida does and how she fights for her family that reminds me so much about my mother my mom had to pretty much set out on her own and she brought my grandmother with her but every step of the way there was something that was getting in the way of them being together and heading over to safety. 
uh, for different periods of time my grandmother and my mother had to be separated and it's hard when you are traveling from country to country in their case it was trying to get over to Denmark and be on this refugee ice vessel and it's hard when you know your grandmother doesn't speak any other language aside from her native language and my mom trying to keep the family together doesn't know how to help her doesn't know how to be close to her when people are telling her that she can't be with her family she has to be on her own so the character of Aida is something is someone who I know in my own family but there are also a million and one different stories about family trying to stick together the other part of this film that really sticks out to me and you know, just makes me think about my life is the genocide that we see at the end or that is implied. Srebrenica is where more than 8,000 Bosniak Muslims, most of them men and boys, were killed by the Bosnian Serb army. We saw that with the father and his two sons being forced into a concrete building knowing very much what is about to happen to them and Aida obviously knows that too. Half of my family is from the Muslim side of Bosnia and I just couldn't help but think about that fear that my uncle, my grandfather must have felt in that moment, not knowing, am I going to be rounded up? Am I going to be the next one who has to turn and look toward the wall and just accept that I'm about to have bullets go through my body? You know, this film does so much for Bosnian people and people who have lived through this nightmare of a war and it just kind of puts so much into perspective. You know, I grew up hearing so many stories. I grew up seeing photos of what once was and I went to Bosnia myself a few times and I still see buildings where there are bullet holes in them and for whatever reason kind of clicks a little bit more when you see this movie, when you see that fear and emotion and passion coming from a character such as Aida or from her husband and her sons and really just all of those refugees huddled together in that UN base. This film is important for us, but it's also important for a lot of other people around the world who don't know about Bosnia and its history and especially this genocide and unfortunately so many killings that took place before and after this July 1995 incident. It's an important moment in history that a lot of people don't talk about and that people in who lived during that time are still very much traumatized by. So I love that we get to see this and I think Yasmila Zbanic has done an extraordinary job documenting this point in time that we really haven't seen before in a lot of mainstream films. So I'm so happy that she has gotten honored and the film itself has been honored for an Academy Award nomination and as much as I love another round and I think it's a fantastic international film, I am hoping that this movie wins that Oscar. Emma, thank you so much for sending that in. If you are listening right now, I'm going to pass it over first to Ryan C. Showers. Ryan, what do you think of Quo Vadis Aida? 
Um, well, I remember Emma's piece that she wrote on the website, and it was it was um, a fantastic read. So I, I would suggest uh, anyone who's listening to this who is especially moved by this movie to search out um, her, her work. Um, but whenever I saw it, I was kind of taken aback because I went in rather cold. I mean, the only thing I really knew about it was that Matt and Dan both really loved it coming off of the film festivals. And immediately, like the way that the film starts is so smart. Like, I feel like this film just throws you full throttle into this situation. And it just gives such a more um, intense experience. Like you're really living through these um, events Uh, just in the way that the exposition is set up. It's, a really tightly constructed thriller. I really like the way that the direction makes this feel like an experience rather than simply a movie. And the emotional beat of the film is completely recognizable from the second it starts until the second it ends. And it's kind of an emotional whirlwind. And I just think that the film does a really interesting job of describing this moment this you know this one moment in time in it to its fullest um, potential all right next up nicole ackman what did you think of quo Saida? so i actually watched this for the first time last night and i somehow went in still very blind to this movie i knew that dan really loved it uh i knew that a lot of people had really liked it i remember that it had really struggled to find uh, a distributor for a while it felt like and I actually had a friend in high school whose family was was Bosnian who had immigrated in the 90s because of things that were happening in Bosnia. So I had a little bit of a background on, you know, the Bosnian genocide, uh, but I really wasn't ready for this movie. And I don't think there is any way to be ready for this movie fully. I think it's a very well done, very haunting piece that sheds light onto a part of recent history that a lot of people are very unaware of, but does so in a way that is incredibly impactful without ever feeling exploitative. Uh, That's something I, I feel like I'm always quite sensitive to in films like this that depict really tragic events is the idea that they never feel like they're exploiting the things that people went through for shock factor or anything like that. And this movie definitely doesn't fall into that. It feels very sensitively made. And it's it's one of those films, which I actually think are always very interesting, where you sort of know within the first 15 minutes that things aren't going to end well. It kind of feels like, you know, whenever you watch the movie Titanic, like, you know what's going to happen to this boat the entire movie, right? And it feels kind of like that if you have any knowledge at all of Bosnia in this time period. And yet the way that it's so easy to get swept up in hoping that, you know, things are going to turn out uh differently than you expect is really powerful. And and it, it is a movie that I really would recommend to anyone to see. And I think it's done in a way that uh, even, you know, it could be shown in schools and stuff uh, because it is done fairly sensitively. And I, I really hope, especially now with its Oscar nomination, that a lot of people check out this film. All right. And Dan Baer, who probably the biggest cheerleader for this movie over here at the website uh, <laughs> since he first saw it and for good reason too um yeah so it this to anyone who has been paying any attention um this is my personal best film of the year and whether that year is 2020 
or 2021 or, you know, however you want to define the year in which you count this movie. I think it is the best movie of the year. But watching it last night, it was even better than I remember it being the first time I saw it. Um, I think this is one of the most powerful films that I've seen in a long time. And its power is derived from just goddamn good movie making. There is something that is so um, real and just absolutely gut-wrenching about the tension that Jasmina Zvanich is able to maintain throughout this film. Um, and it basically does start with the very first scene with Aida negotiating between the um, the UN peacekeeping contingent and the mayor of Serenica. And you can see all this unspoken tension between everyone in that room. And without knowing the full history of the um of this period of this war um i was i felt like i had just enough information so that i could understand the thorniness of it and that alone is a pretty big accomplishment given how uh, complex the whole situation in serenica was but then on top of that she then gets to such an emotional, intimate, uh, character-driven narrative throughout most of the rest of the movie that is just... I, I was floored by it when I first saw it. Um, I still think uh, Jasna Juristic is <laughs> wipes the floor with all the Best Actress nominees in any other movie um, from this past year. And it's just, yeah, it is massively impressive. And I just, I love that people are finally getting to watch it now because it's on Hulu. And it it's just so easily one of the best films of the year. I saw this movie. <laughs> Man, I saw this movie. I, I think it was at midnight or one in the morning when I started watching this. I remember you were angry at me for not telling you sooner that I had seen it and that it was great or for waiting. But like, yeah, I remember you watching it like the last minute. Yeah. I watched it like super, super late and I, and I had just finished watching um, new order right before it. So oh God, you want to talk about a <laughs> double feature of just sheer depression. <laughs> I, I was going through it that evening. I remember fully well. Um, but this movie was one that really, really stood uh, uh, st uh, stuck with me. And it's something that I, like I said earlier, I haven't been able to shake since I last saw it in a way where it's gotten even better in my mind. And a second viewing now has uh, confirmed that to the point where I'm actually raising uh, my official grade on it, uh, which, you know, we'll reveal later. But I think uh, one of the things I want to mention uh, first that was brought up uh, earlier was a lot of you have commented on how um, immersive this storytelling is. And I was paying very, very close attention to that this time around because I felt that too the first time I watched it. I remember getting that you are there quality from it the same way that you got when you watch something like Son of Saul. Um, and with this film, I remember, um, or I noticed rather that 
there was no music except in the beginning and at the end. Like once we get to the UN base, it's all just crowd noise and everything else that isn't there on screen is essentially not uh, recorded sound. Uh, so f- for that purpose alone, you know, you really, really feel like you are going through this incredibly intense and really heartbreaking experience. Intense because the momentum of the movie is tremendous. I mean, this movie's what, an hour and 45 minutes long? Yeah. You know, it just moves. And then on top of that, Nicole, you mentioned that there's like this inevitable feeling to where this story is heading. And you're seeing this desperation. And the movie uh, does such an incredible job of focusing on uh, the characters' faces and not just the speaking parts, but the extras and all these crowd scenes and really, really getting us, the audience, to really feel the impact of what is going to happen, whether we see it or don't see it. You just get this glimpse into these people, this culture, this community, and you realize all too well that there's it's 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 going to be erased. And um, once one and one other point, and I promise we'll uh, I'll let you guys comment. But like one other point that I think uh, really illustrates that very well is there's a scene where um, Aida burns her husband's journal, and he tells her. Uh, that journal has an entry for every day of the war of the last three years. And it's just a, like a, a very subtle moment in the movie that illustrates that there was an attempt to erase uh, a people from the face of the earth. All of their history, everything, just completely wipe it out. And what happened in July of, you know, 1995 over there is just truly horrific on so many levels. It really is. And um, I kept thinking while um, I was watching it last night, there's that flashback scene. Oh, yeah. To the uh, the hair, the hair That's styling the style pageant. Yep. <laughs> which is, you know, a kind of cute and silly thing. But. I remember the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, well, we don't really need this. But I was like, it was nitpicking. It was tr- I was trying to find something wrong with the movie. And this time it it is it's that it's not a release valve for all the tension and pressure that the movie is building up to that point. It is in a really subtle way making it worse because it's highlighting the humanity of these people who are either dead or are going to die or going to lose everything. And it's not just about this, the last moment they were happy or something like that. There is a moment near the end where they're all dancing in a circle and it's just this, I was reminded of, uh, this is really weird, but Busby Berkeley used to call it the parade of faces. Mm. You would have, all, you know, just pan the camera across all the chorus girls and you'd see their smiling, shining faces. And this is like this really creepy, depressing inverse of that. But it's doing the same thing. It's just letting you for a moment see these faces and take in the fact. That, I mean, one of them is this Rebecca mayor who we saw get 
unceremoniously executed by machine guns earlier in the movie. And it, it just really, really hit me this time, the impact of all that they've lost. And it's preparing you for that. Devastating isn't quite strong enough a word uh, for the epilogue. I also think that what that scene does really well, and one thing that I think the movie is quite good at, because uh, another scene that does it is the the part where one of her sons, you know, kind of early on in the film says to his parents, my birthday is in two days, mm-hmm. is that it highlights the fact that these are normal people. Because I think so often you see sort of movies with this sort of subject matter, and it's easy to write it off as, well, this happened really far in the past, or, well, this happened in a country that's nothing like the country that I live in. And I think whenever you see these flashes of people having their, you know, sort of normal lives, a, a sort of life that, you know, is different than maybe what you live, but is recognizable it makes what they're going through feel even more impactful because it's harder to write it off as something that like doesn't exist within the realm of your world. If that makes sense. Um, It's a lot easier to feel that like these were people going about their lives normally, just as we are that this horrific thing is happening to. And I think that it's important that we do get to see them in that moment of sort of normality and happiness to have something to sort of contrast this tragedy with. It goes to show you that life can change very, very quickly, Mm -hmm. no matter where you are at any time. And everything that you hold precious and dear can be upended uh, by something that is just so big and unmovable, really. Uh, It's, you know, it's... it's a lot to think about, but it's also something that I think um, in terms of the and the end of the movie, the epilogue, as we were talking mm-hmm. about before, the fact that Aida is a teacher, um, I think is a, a, a wise decision because it allows for um, a couple of different moments where she is well connected to the people of the town, um, the soldiers, uh, some of them also uh, know who she is uh, too. So there's an interesting dynamic there, but at the very, very end of the film, and I was thinking a lot about this on the second viewing, because to Dan's point, the first time I saw it, I did think the flashback was a little, like it did break up the momentum, even just ever so briefly. But on a rewatch this time around, I was kind of awestruck by the fourth wall breaking of how everyone <laughs> looked into the camera in the flashback and how that mirrored uh, the kids at the end of the film. And it's really just sending a message to everyone that's watching this movie that we need to teach the next generation about what happened here so that we don't obviously do it again. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, it's like no matter how many times these stories get told, reiterated, and people do everything they can to prevent this from happening, we still see uh, other horrific events take place all over the world where this sort of stuff does continue to happen. But that doesn't mean that we should stop. And I really, really appreciate kind of the full circle messaging here and what this movie's mission statement is ultimately trying to do for everyone that watches it. Well, the one thing I really like about the approach, which I think is really intelligent overall, like the way that she uses even the the like the genre of this type of movie to tell this real life story is very smart um, because she uses the types of sequences we typically see in movies like these, like, you know, um, I don't want to use the word political thriller, but like 
thriller mixed in with real life politics. Um, the way that she uses like the devices uh, that we usually see in movies like this is really smart. And the um, the the phrase I used, the, the phrase I thought of whenever I watched this film was they are like there's a politicking for survival. And I feel like that like th- there's a sense of that that really comes through in um, this film in a very um, humane way and in a very desperate way and a very sad way. The ne- the negotiation scenes I felt were completely um, s- uh, just searing from start to finish. Um, and like for instance, like the sequences um, towards the end with the um, takeover, I found to be completely brutal. Um, it, the story really comes alive through the intelligent approach to these types of scenes. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I think that um, I don't want to say that they're cliche mm-hmm. because I, I really do think that they're rooted in something that is very real and truly horrific. You know, when we see, for example, um, the soldiers degrading uh, the women or really just honestly the, the first of all i want to just say as like a lead in into this the acting in this movie is <sighs> phenomenal from literally everyone involved because that's how real and authentic everything feels um but the way that the soldiers are depraving these people of their basic humanity the way that they insult them the way that they scoff and they laugh at um uh other other people around them like they're just completely belittling them you know it's it it is something that i've seen in other movies like this before uh but it never feels worn or tired because the as you mentioned here ryan the movie approaches its subject in a very very smart manner by creating this fictional story of Aida, her husband, and her sons, and her desperate plea to try and save them during this small period of time as much as she can. And all the different people that she has to go through in her chain of command, um, the little moments of conflict that she has to try to overcome, like when she's trying to just get the UN cards printed out, but the machine doesn't work. There's just such expert level screenwriting here in terms of problem, conflict, problem, conflict. How do you solve this? Move it on to the next thing. And I think that's what really, really helps this movie's overall sense of momentum to make it, yes, a completely heavy-handed drama that is, uh, you know, definitely a downer, but also an exhilarating watch at the same time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, 
toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Yeah, it really is thrilling in a in a way that never releases the gravity of the situation. Like it's not ever fun to watch. And I wouldn't call it entertaining, but uh, you are sort of on the edge of your seat in that riveting movie, movie way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is that this is the, the decision to make the main character of Aida an interpreter for the UN is so incredibly, incredibly smart. Yes. um, Because she is both, part of this sort of inner circle of politicians and generals that are making the deals and, you know, part of the actual nuts and bolts of what's going on. But she's not, she has no power there. And she's also sort of the voice of the people. There are some moments of this movie that are just like, I remember as she's trying to find her, husband and sons in the giant crowds outside of the UN compound. There is this shot of her as she gets up on uh, this a truck or a bus or something to, to try to find them in the crowd. And it, the size of that crowd just like takes her aback completely. And then when we see what she sees, I mean, it, a sea of people going on for miles and it's it's in moments like that where it's just this this really beautiful i i think near perfect braiding of the personal and the political you know there's that saying that all politics is personal but in so many movies that are about politics in some way it feels like it's not really personal it's about maneuvering and gamesmanship and this movie is almost like the movie that is happening in the margins of those other political movies that we don't get to see and it gives full life to all the people who have no voice in these political situations. And I think that alone makes it important. But then the skill with which Shazman uh, tells this story is just out of this world. I mean, there's also these moments where she has to interpret mm-hmm. and you can tell that she doesn't want to. Or she knows what the command or the order coming from the UN officials means for the people. And I, I think just once again, like illustrating how it creates this level of conflict. And in this case, character uh, centric conflict for her um, and knowing that she has a job to do and she's trying to keep everyone calm and maintain a sense of order about everything. But at the same time, she has her own personal connection to what is going on at the same time. Um, Yeah, I I agree. It is a brilliant, brilliant move to give her that kind of a role that would allow her to interact with 
all of these different characters and make her feel very, very central to everything that is going on. And that's the other thing, too. There is so much going on in this movie. You know, if you just look at the Wikipedia page for uh, the Bosnian genocide, there is so much that is not even in this movie, but I am just so thoroughly impressed at how much material. And once again, in under two hours, Jasmilla was able to pack into this movie. I mean, it's, it's it's an incredible piece of storytelling in that regard, just because it never ever feels um, too overwhelming in a way where it feels like there was information missing or something isn't here that is uh, crucial to the story that's being told. It's just an incredibly tightly made movie. There are two lines in the first scene that tell you almost everything you need to know. And um, it's near the end of the negotiation where uh, Karaman's, um, who's the UN, the head of the UN peacekeeping contingent, he says, I'm just a piano player. Yeah. And the the mayor of Srebrenica is like, what, what, what does he mean he's a piano player? And Aida it's you know very reluctantly he says he means he's just the messenger Mm -hmm. that everything is happening at a level even above these people and that's the best they have and like the how she's able to detail all the ways that everything went wrong in this situation while not getting into the nitty-gritty but giving you just enough to understand is it's it's mind blowing. I mean, the UN is doing nothing because they have no support. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that we never see like the other side of these phone conversations yeah. or anything like that. We never, ever get another perspective as to why the UN uh, failed to contain all of this and re- protect these people. Um, I'm glad that the story stays focused in on the one setting with these characters and never breaks from that. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And so many of the UN soldiers are kids. Oh my God, in shorts. Um, They just like all look so out of their element, you know, and it it really, I mean, I'm telling you, watching this with uh, Hotel Rwanda, like back to back and it's like, (laughs) man. But I do think that that is part of what is so good about it is that first of all, like the fact that it never takes you out of the situation, I think is part of how it holds on to its tension. Um, because if we did get, you know, that sort of like look at, okay, what is the UN actually doing? I feel like we might lose a little bit of that. And yeah, damn, this movie made me so anxious. I actually had to pause it several times to take yeah. a breather because I was yeah. like, my shoulders are up around my ears. Like I can't get my body to relax. I, I thought that this was a two and a half hour movie when it was over. Yeah. I felt like I was in it forever. Yep. But I do think that like in showing the way that even the UN soldiers who are on the ground there like there are so many moments where they sort of sort of show you how helpless they feel even Mm -hmm. uh and how they feel like there's nothing more that they can do and i think it really highlights that like for so many of the people involved in this they are just trying to do the best that they can and watching things fall apart in front of them and i i felt like it, it is a movie of incredible performances because just the looks on some of the, like the soldiers' faces, like these unnamed, you know, characters 
really gives something to the whole atmosphere of, of what is going on. There's one point where um, Aida has this really impossible situation put in front of her where she has to or her and her husband have to make a choice between uh, basically saving her husband and or her sons. Oh, God. And the UN uh, official says, you're asking me to do the impossible. And I kept asking myself while watching this, is it impossible? Yeah. It, 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 are you really like that tied to where you really can't do anything? Or are you just ignorant to, like, are you telling yourself that they're going to be transported to safety and you, you're just blocking out the reality of the situation that is before you? I, I just like it's infuriating to watch because deep down, I think we all agree that something else could have been done, not just for Aida, but for all these people in general. Uh, but, you know, the movie does, I think, a really good job of also showing how. There's thousands of people. This is a big situation and there's a lot of moving pieces and it's really, really, really complicated. That doesn't mean that it's impossible, though. He also has a line where, like, we have to we have to follow the rules or we follow rules. And you want to, like, shake him and be like, do you understand that your following of the rules is what got you into this situation in the first place? Mm-hmm. Because you're playing by the rules and you're trying to negotiate with someone who said, fuck the rules. Yeah. I mean, the, the general um, Mladic. with you know, with like his cameraman and everything. Oh, yeah. Like that <laughs> completely unintentional, I'm sure, but made me think a lot about um, the <laughs> today's political worlds. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. Oh, and like self-editing too, mm-hmm. like how he's directing the cameraman to not capture certain things or yeah. moments or – it's unbelievable how they're trying to like politically like frame everything and how he is also presenting himself to everyone saying that he's going to, uh, you know, protect all of the people. They have no qualms with any of the uh, civilians. It's just military personnel that they are looking for and so on and so forth. And it's, it's tough because like, you know, especially during that negotiation scene, you want to believe him. Yeah. You really want to believe him because he does a great job of presenting himself, uh, this actor, um, as as a, as a man who is very charismatic and is one that uh, looks like he has, you know, a great deal of command over the situation and what's going on. That if he says something, he means it. But once again, deep down, I, I think we all know oh, there's even a line in the movie where the cameraman asks um, the one UN official and he just tells him, like, well, what can you tell the people what's going on here? And he says, you know what's going on. You know very well what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the whole point of all of this is that all of these people are lying straight to all of their faces. Uh, and it, it's like nobody knew. Everybody gave the benefit of the doubt. Nobody like, but also too, if they did call him out on his bullshit and they did say, nope, you're, you're bluffing. You're intending to kill everybody. Like what would have happened right then and there then? You know what I mean? Like in that room, would they have all just been gunned down? I don't know. You know, it's like, so someone mentioned earlier about how this movie is just about survival and Maybe that's what it is, is that, you know, we get through this conversation, we get through this moment, we just take things moment by moment so that for every single second that we are alive, we are surviving, and then we will move on to the next problem. 
Yeah, there's, you know, it's like putting band-aids over a giant wound. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll hold for a little while, but it's not a good long-term solution. Um, there, There is also that wonderful, wonderful moment after they, you know, after the UN is forced to <laughs> select three, rand- three people from the group of... T- uh, townspeople in the compound to negotiate with Mladic and it, it it's not a negotiation. No. <laughs> he basically he basically gives them an ultimatum like, you know, choose between the lesser of these two evils and, you know, they have to choose. It's not a negotiation at all, but and I think this is so key. It's only the one female a townsperson sent to do that who understands that it was not a negotiation and they did nothing. Yeah. Because uh, Karamans is like, you know, he's like, well, you know, well, we will do this. And you, you have, you have to do this for the United Nations because we will not do it any other way. And the guy's like, sure. Okay. Yeah. We'll do that. And even Aida's husband is like, like, no, we, we, we negotiated. We 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 did what we were supposed to do. And this woman is like, "You fucking idiot." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, and then when the colonel is like just locking himself in his room because he's so ashamed that he has allowed this to happen, um, he knows he knows he knows what he's done, you know, in that moment. He does, and he realizes it too late. Yep. And it, it's the other like. Like Nicole was saying, it's like it has a very Greek tragedy feel to it because we know right from the beginning this isn't going to go well. But how it doesn't go well is it's it's gripping. What did you guys think of in the epilogue? Spoiler alert: when she passes Jacko in the hall. Um, is that the uh, outside the apartment? Yes, outside the apartment. Yeah. And she passes him in the hall and she realizes that he's moved in into her old home. And when we get the uh, performance from the kids at the very, very end, um, he's also in the crowd. And there's kind of this message that's being sent to all of us about, like, how does a nation, how does how does a people move on with life? How could you imagine, you know, having to live in a community with the people that committed these atrocities after they happened. I just like, I can't even imagine. I, so I, the first time I saw it, that it completely passed me by that that was who that was. And the second time I didn't realize it, um, in the hallway, but I did realize at the very end of the movie when they showed his face, I'm like, is that, Oh yeah. No. In the hallway, when she's leaving the apartment, she takes a look at him as he pat. He passes her. She says hello. He says hello. He doesn't give her another glance at all because to him, she's just one of thousands of people, you know, whose faces in that crowd. But the movie does such a good job of making us remember who that character is because he was very much like the aggressor in uh, some of the earlier scenes in the movie who was leading the soldiers to search for um, military personnel within the compound. And... I, I, I was just completely I, I will admit on the first viewing, I didn't notice it. But on this viewing, I was just completely gobsmacked by it because it forces us to ask those questions about how, how do you how do you continue to move on 
after such a horrific tragedy. And God, with some of the people who were directly involved continuing to be your neighbor. Yeah. And I, I think it kind of works whether or not you realize that that's him because oh. after she, you know, she's just come from her apartment where some random person has just moved in because it, the, her apartment had lain abandoned for however long because they, and the people who moved in thought that the owners had, had died. And she's like, no, no, I'm still alive. And I would like my apartment back, please. And then she sees this guy coming in up the staircase. And then for me, the first time I remember it was this moment of like every apartment in that building someone else is living there now. Yep. It, it is someone who just took an abandoned piece of property from, and like this, this culture, this town, it is, it is forever altered and changed. And where are the people who used to live there before? Are they dead? Have they immigrated elsewhere? Uh, you know, it's so the, the, weight of history you know mm -hmm. it's just sort of pressing down on that moment and as the epilogue continues and it really does run with that question of how how do you move on from an event like this because you have to you know time stops for no one and i found that to be so powerful at the end when they're watching these children perform and it's literally passing on to the next generation and what do we do? And you see Aida and I think the closing shot is so, it is such a strong choice because she says earlier in the movie, she's someone asks her, you know, what are you going to do when the war is over? Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm, I'm going to go back to teaching. It's, it's yeah. what makes me happiest. Yeah. Because the movie, you know, could have ended a couple of different times, mm -hmm. but I think where it chooses to end is the most powerful place of all, uh, because it forces us to ask those bigger questions. And in that regard, that's why I think this movie is more than just telling uh, a, a small contained story within its larger historical event. I, I do think that there is a broader context here, one that can definitely be taught and one that can be referenced uh, in the future, thus making it a uh, I, I, you know, I always get a little nervous when I say a landmark film, but in many ways, you know, for this point in history, it feels like one. It also just kind of feels like a landmark film in the fact that it's a film that's addressing this subject matter. Yeah. Uh, that has reached a general audience. There's still so many people out there who deny that this happened. Yeah. Exactly. It's crazy. So in, uh, in regards to um, final thoughts on the movie, uh, Ryan... Anything that you want to reiterate or something you didn't get a chance to say before? For final thoughts, I just want to share just how special this movie is. Matt, I really liked what you said about um, the place where it chooses to end. Because while it was while I was watching the film for the first time, uh, the the way that the climax is built up, like in terms of earlier, you were talking about like the screenplay constantly, you know, shows a problem, then a solution, a problem, then a solution. I, you know, like you said, it could have ended in several different places, but the, the lengths that it goes to allows for such a crisp statement to be made and an, an emotional statement to be made. Um, I think it's very powerful. And, um, you know, I also, 
earlier you guys were speaking about the, the how long the film felt because of how much it holds us in like a stress position. Um, I actually really think that the film has an amazing pace and um, like watchability factor that um, I, I, I feel like they don't waste a single moment. And I, that's something that most films, um, you can't say of most films, but you can say of this one. Um, and I also wanted to just share, share that this was my number six um, movie of the 2020 um, awards cycle. So, Nicole, what about you? Final thoughts? Final thoughts. I just want to reiterate again that the performances in this movie, particularly from the lead actress, are really strong and really help make it what it is. Uh, I I also think that this movie does such a good job of humanizing a you know event in history while also giving you enough information about it without ever feeling like it's info dumping on you, which I think is really important that whenever you're making a film about something like this that a lot of people don't know about that it doesn't start feeling like a lecture at any point and this definitely avoids that. Uh, I hope that people see this movie and I hope that when they do, they also seek out more information about, you know, the Bosnian genocide and everything that happened uh, in Bosnia in the nineties, uh, because I do think it's really important for people to know about it. And I'm really happy that this film is gaining this sort of traction and got this Oscar nomination uh, so that hopefully that will occur. And finally, Dan Baer. Um, look, I, <laughs> I, genuinely believe after especially after this second viewing that this is a film that deserves to be canonized alongside other films as historical documents like schindler's list i mean it takes a such a clear-eyed view of this historic tragic event and it movifies it just enough so that you have to keep watching it is so watchable because of how riveting the story is and how tightly it holds you in this vice grip of tension and but at the same time it never lets you off the hook it there are constant reminders of what a historical event this is and what a tragedy it was and it never lets you forget that but at the same time it is you know as watchable as any movie about such a tragedy could possibly be and i'm just in awe of it I there is something the one thing that I did forget from my first viewing is that it opens on a shot of Aida and her family or two shots of first Aida's husband and sons and then her and there is this constant sense throughout that she's not just a woman she's not just a translator she's not just a wife or mother she is also a an almost symbolic mother to all the people of this town and it that makes the conclusion of the film both the climax and the epilogue i think even more devastating and the the 
big scene in, um, I'll keep it clear for the spoilers, but the big scene in the epilogue in the one giant room is just the finest piece of acting I think I've seen from anyone the whole year. Man. Yeah, I, that, that scene, that, that man, I, I gotta admit, I cried on two separate occasions <laughs> yeah. while watching this movie, and that, that scene really did me in, for sure. Oh, man, there, there, I, I have, um, uh, just minor, minor things here and there, uh, but, you know, I, I think about how they're tending to the wounded at the UN station, and, just the the crowds and just how many people this is so brilliantly well directed because there's like as mentioned before so many moving parts um it, you know and yeah we get that one cgi shot of like seeing thousands of people outside the gates but for the most part i, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to coordinate this many extras and to have it feel so believable at the same time it's just a such a herculean uh filmmaking task here um, the other thing I also uh, want to mention as well is uh, the scene where uh, the one woman has, uh, you know, a baby during the uh, the midst of all yes. of this. Oh, man. Like, you know, it's like, once again, an impossible situation. And uh, kind of like what you said before, Dan, time just keeps moving on, you know, and what, what do you do in a situation like that? You know, you do the best that you can. Um. When I first saw this movie, I, I maybe it was because I saw it so late in the evening. Maybe it was because I had just watched New Order right before it. I don't know. I gave it an eight at the time, and I knew I liked it a lot. I mean, you know, Dan, we were championing this thing for months on end. Mm-hmm. But after a rewatch now, uh, I'm I'm easily at a nine out of ten. I I don't know what compelled me to give it an eight back then. I should have given it a, a nine or a ten then. So uh, I'm at a nine now. Ryan, what about you? I'm definitely at a nine. Nicole, what's interesting is actually last night after I watched it, I was sitting at an eight. And I think part of it, to to speak to your point, Matt, is that for me after I watched it, I felt almost a little bit numb. Like it was so much to take in that I felt like I couldn't process it right away uh but now like the next morning i I actually am gonna raise my grade to a nine because i do think that it's just a film that takes a little bit of reflection but i think that that actually is a good thing for a film so i'm going with a nine dan when i first saw it it's if i was a nine and now i say fuck it i'm a 10 there is nothing there is not a thing wrong with this movie all right. Quo Vadis Aida is currently nominated for Best International Feature at this year's Academy Awards. Now, this is very interesting. It has an official U.S. release of March 5th, 2021. You guys know what that means, right? <sighs> that it could compete for individual non-international feature Oscars at next year's Oscars. So let's get the campaign going here, everyone. Jasmila Zabanik for Best Director. Let's make it happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen, unfortunately. I think if we start this now and we maintain <laughs> this throughout the year, 
there's a part of me, Dan, that feels <laughs> that that BAFTA nomination that she received could translate again. I, Matt, I, I feel like I feel like you're just God. feeling cocky after your promising young woman success. Uh. <laughs> no, no. Well, think about it. You know, the international uh, group over at, you know, the director's branch within the Academy. Yeah. They have been nominating a lot of international directors lately. And can you guys tell me if you're going to see a more powerfully directed f- foreign uh, film this year? I, I don't know. It's going to be hard to top this one. I mean, if I do, I will be very impressed. But unfortunately, I don't think this is City of God. This isn't a movie that inspires excitement so much as it inspires um, awe. And I think in order to have that kind of shelf life where you're an international film being shown with subtitles, even though it's also like very heavily in English, um, when you're in that position, you need to have people excited about you in order to last a whole other year. I'm pretty excited. I well, just <laughs> worry about getting eyes on it, especially because, like, I think that um, without, like, any actors in it who are... Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, the movies that have been more heavily embraced by the Academy lately that are uh, international have been either a very well-known director or some actor that we have a familiarity with. I, I, yeah. Okay. I, I can agree with that. And it's part of the reason why I think another round is winning this year. Yeah. And it makes me sad because this movie just sort of has it all over another round and another round is a very good movie. Yeah. I went back and forth over which of the two I preferred, but I think like now I can, confidently, especially having recently just watched another round for our podcast just a few days ago and seeing this one now kind of side by side. uh, You know, Dan, we talked about this a lot. If people watch both movies, it's pretty hard to deny Quo Vadis Aida. Yeah, and that is the one thing that is sort of um, making me feel somewhat good about its chances is that the more I see people seeing Quo Vadis Aida, the more I see them going like, well, another round is winning, but I kind of preferred Quo Vadis Aida or, you know, like, I can't deny that this is powerful. It almost sounds like uh, Bozeman and Hopkins, right? Yeah. I can't deny that Bozeman is winning, but man, Hopkins. It's like, I, I too have heard similar chatter about this film, but, you know, reality is reality and another round has that best director nomination. And I think that that just seals the deal for it in the international feature race this year, which is why I was very, very quick at the top to say <laughs> next year. <laughs> the logistics of like creating a best director nomination. Uh, I just feel like it's just a, a bit too far fetched. Like I wish that. All right. What uh, about Jasna Durinik uh, for uh, best actress? Then I just think oh. that like the fact that like this film, because it's come out for most of us and most of us have seen it and consider it part of this qualifying season. Yeah, I just but... feel like it's going to be like a lost cause come, you know, for in another year. I feel like the release really should have been more primed for like in a, a campaign um, than it was. Yeah. And I think we would maybe maybe we would have seen a director nomination um, for her had it had it been more focused in this season. I'm not giving up on best director or best actress for this movie next year. I, I'm I'm gonna beat that drum for a little bit at least, you know, until maybe there's no hope. Well, but, but that's the thing, Matt. It's people will do it for a little bit, but surviving a whole year 
I just don't. There are going to be other newer movies that come out and excite people. And this is just not. Maybe the critics will, uh, you know, maybe the critics will reciprocate. Maybe that would be really nice. I also I don't want to downplay the fact that like the fact that it is nominated this year is fantastic and impressive. And considering the lack of um, distributor, like it's right. Precisely. And also when you consider how many other heavy hitters did miss in that category that had a tremendous amount of exposure and marketing behind them. And to be the runner up to a film like Another Round, which has a director nomination, which has a very well-known actor, Mads Mikkelsen, in it, uh, I don't think it's like that hard of a pill to swallow, really. Obviously, I would love to see Kumara Saida win, but I also think losing to another round is like not the worst thing for it, if that makes sense. No, they're both excellent movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that the fact that it's between these two, it's like, you know, can we really complain? It's an abundance of riches. I mean, we can, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I honestly like both films on a pretty similar level. Uh, so I feel like I'm spoiled right now and that whichever one wins, I'm going to be thrilled. Yeah, I feel a very similar way. But at the same time, I'm telling you all, best actress, best director, 2021. We can do this. We can do this. Come on, people. Say it with me. <laughs> we can do this. Oh, man. Well, we'll see. Maybe enough people will listen to this podcast and they'll remember this moment. <laughs> All right, Ryan, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me at RCS818 on Twitter. Nicole? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16 Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at DanceAndDan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Quo Vadis Aida here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to the podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, feel free to drop us a comment, rate us five stars. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.